Hello and welcome once again to episode 35 of Code Completion. We are a group of iOS developers and educators hoping to share what we love most about development, Apple technology, and completing your code. My name is Dimitri and I'll be your host once again for this episode and I'm joined today by my fellow completionists, Ben. Hey, hey. And Spencer. Hey there. So before we get into our main topic, it's time for our indie app spotlight. First up is AppWage by Kyle Hankinson, an iPhone and iPad app all around giving you a quick glance at how your app is doing on the App Store. AppWage stores everything locally, offers push notifications when new reports are available, and gives you access to information such as revenue, downloads, upgrades, and refunds, and makes all of this information available in-app or via widgets on your home screen. AppWage is completely free to use, so please support Kyle by giving it a go and trying out their other apps. Finally, we have Latour by Bezalil Ruben Ashfor a colorful iOS and Mac app that helps you sample the colors around you into collections that can be organized and referred to later. Latour allows you to see color combinations for each color in your collection, variations on each color such as complementary, analogous, or monochromatic variants, and even sports a contrast checker to make sure your choices are accessible. Latour for iOS is only $2.99 and $9.99 on the Mac, so please check out both uh, versions to support Bezalil. Are you an indie developer? We want to hear from you. Please reach out to us on Twitter at CodeCompletion via DM so we can spotlight your app in the future as well. So uh, our main topic for today is all about project planning and management. Um, and there's uh, like all sorts of directions that we can uh, take this in. But uh, for the purposes of iOS apps, I guess let's go ahead and start... Um, and see what are each of your opinions in terms of do you spend a ton of time planning it ahead of time so that way everything is just easy going uh, from that point forward or do you like to just jump in and discover where it's going to take you as you're kind of developing it so Ben uh, both <laughs> I think it depends somewhat on what the app is and and uh, how much I've already been thinking about it and stuff like that but um, I think that I do really enjoy parts of the planning process, um, but at the same time, there's kind of no substitute for getting your fingers on the keyboard and digging into an Xcode project and just seeing, like, you know, how far can I get? I got two hours today. Like, how far can I get to sort of get it out of my head and, and get it into, um, you know, a basic functioning state? So, um I would say probably on average when I'm building this is and this is I guess something I should say that's perhaps different from what I would might do in my day job but I was just building something for myself um probably think about it um uh sort of let it roll around in my head for a little while uh so I guess you could consider that to be planning because it's just kind of letting it sort of marinate and, and try and figure out like what's what is this thing supposed to do right what is the main point of it and then uh, probably do a little bit of maybe exploration um, in an Xcode project. And then once I feel like I've got a decent grasp on, okay, this idea makes sense and I've played with it enough uh, in code to understand kind of where I want to take it, at that point I probably would pause the, the coding and then kind of jump into, let's, let's plan out a few major features, let's see what's, uh, you know, how we could turn this sort of rough idea into an actual app that we might want to put in the store and either charge money for or offer a subscription for or whatever, right? Try and kind of take a step back a little bit and think, how can I make this into something that might actually be desirable to others and might make 
you know, what, what's the business plan basically. Right. Um, but it, so it's, it's a little bit kind of back and forth for me. How about you, Spencer? How do you, how do you handle it? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, I think ultimately really similar to how you said, um, I remember there was a project that I wanted to do. It was like maybe my first Mac app or one of the first Mac apps. So I wasn't very familiar with, um, with Mac apps in general. And, uh, I can't remember exactly what I wanted to do. It, it had something to do with like, um, using dispatch sources to monitor uh, a folder or something. And there was some case where it wouldn't do what I wanted it to do. And that was sort of the central feature. And that was sort of the very first time that, um, I had dove straight into a project. I didn't like prototype and kind of workshop that feature. I built out like all of the UI first and didn't really think about, you know, is this even a, a, um, feasible thing for me to do? And mm-hmm. then it came to bite me and I, you know, wasted a couple weeks on, on nothing essentially because it right. just was, was not possible to do. Um, so like I've said before, I'm not really much of a planner. Uh, however, as far as projects go, like, like Ben said, um, I've, I've slowly become, uh, a little bit more of a planner in the sense of like, at the very least, if I have an idea, like break it into, I mean, you don't have a project at all, but make some sort of a, um, a test project and just make sure that it's a feasible thing, prototype it out, uh, and then from there, like Ben said, you can kind of say, okay, well, what do I want it to look like and all that stuff. So very, very similar to uh, how, how you approach that. Uh, Dimitri, what about you? I, I guess it really depends on like how much experience you have working on apps up to that point. Because like you said, Spencer, knowing if something is feasible or not. Uh, that's yeah. oftentimes a, the very first step, but mm-hmm. the more and more you program and the more and more apps and different types of apps that you build, uh, the quicker you can just very quickly within like seconds narrow in with this is a feasible idea or this is going to be a huge headache um, and is not going to be something that uh, can be done quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, if you have a chance to kind of get very varied experience um, building many different types of apps, over your career, that really helps you kind of uh, facilitate this process of planning so that way you don't have to necessarily jump into like prototyping like you said, Spencer. Uh, for me, I I have gone to the point, I think, where I like planning the majority of the app ahead of time um, and having a very good idea of what the final ver- version of the app is going to look like. And this is not just from how it looks, but also how it behaves, how it's going to be constructed, what the architecture is. Um, And I think I can only do that because I've been doing this for so long. If I were just starting, that would be an impossible task to kind of like plan out. It would be overwhelming almost. But nowadays, it's almost easier for me to just go through that. Like you said, Ben, just think about it. Um, Spend time over several days or weeks where you're not working on that app but you're really thinking through all the problems that you're going to run into um, and be prepared for them. Because at that point, everything is smooth sailing um, afterwards because you've thought of all the problems, you are aware of the limitations, and anything that you're not aware of, you build, like Spencer said, a quick prototype to kind of see um, how it works. Something that I really enjoy doing before I even code anything uh, is to design the app in something like Sketch uh, and to have a very good idea of what it's going to look like and how it's going to be be, be behaving um, before any code is written 
Um, mm-hmm. And that is usually that opportunity to prototype um, it out for, at least for me. Okay, so going going to what you said about Sketch, I've had students ask me uh, before, you know, why uh, prototype your design not in Xcode, right? And what would be your mm-hmm. answer to that? Like, why are you doing it in a separate app where you can't really translate uh, 100% of that into Xcode, you know what I mean? Like pull it, drag it directly into Xcode. Because I've been using design programs for far longer than I've been coding. Okay. Uh, so yeah. I'm. It's it's just a muscle memory at this point. If I need to make a screen, I can make that screen in less than a minute. Just pressing keys on the keyboard to make certain objects very quickly, clicking and dragging with the mouse, putting everything exactly where I need it, um, and saying, eh, I don't like this." and deleting half of it and then recreating in a different way selecting all that making a copy and then comparing two versions doing a lot of that in a design program if you're proficient at it uh can be way faster than kind of building out that ui in xcode or in storyboards but if you're not proficient at it doing it directly in xcode may be the faster route so it really is whichever tool is quicker for you like sometimes just grabbing out a, a piece of paper and grabbing a pencil and just kind of drawing some squiggly art uh, that is not at all like a one-to-one representation of what your app is going to look like is going to be a way easier way to kind of kind of gauge how the app is going to behave. And much like storyboards and Xcodes tries to be, you can kind of design the flow of how your app is going to kind of work. Um, and then afterwards, you just translate that to Xcode and everything's straightforward. Yeah, I think, I think also... Um... It was maybe more. This was maybe more true when all we had was was uh, UIKit. Now it's with UI mm-hmm. that kind of throws a little bit of a wrench into it. But but with UIKit, right? It's it's not always super easy to to mock things really quickly. When I say mock, I mean mock the UI. You can mm-hmm. get really stock stuff pretty easily, but if you want anything that's a little custom, you have to kind of you know you have to think about and design that out. And so that can be hard to do when you're in sort of prototyping mode. Whereas if you're in Sketch or if you're using a piece of paper or something. Right, you can just literally draw it, and it can be yeah. anything. There are no constraints, right? So you have the ability to sort of, uh, you know, think about these things and let your your mind wander and kind of create things more easily. Um, I, I would, I would guess that with, with Swift UI, I mean, I've used it some uh, with Swift UI that that that's certainly would be easier today than it would be like in the UI kit days. But even that, but I kind of feel like with 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 a tool like that, like with Swift UI, right? Your my at least my inclination is going to be to want to get it just so, yeah. Right, and I'm going to be so I like agree. obsessed about like getting it perfect that the whole idea of prototyping or like sketching, right, is it becomes that you hard to throw be, it away. <laughs> yeah, like somewhat <laughs> low fidelity. Yeah, and plus it. if you've written a bunch of code, right? Like yeah. Uh, well, yes, you can throw your code away. It's for some reason I don't feel as I wouldn't feel as bad about deleting an artboard from Sketch as I would from like, oh, I'm going to delete this entire Swift UI view. Like, yeah, okay, fine. It's just it's just a view I can just recreate. It's not a big deal. But it feels heavier to me. Mm-hmm. So I think that's maybe part of it. Is like is like Sketch just feels it's it feels more throwaway in the way that I that it sounds like I and Dimitri use it. Um, and and in this case, that's a good thing. I right? We want to be really fluid and really willing to like just get rid of it and, and like you know delete the entire thing and start over because we're in that mode where where we're we're just putting things on 
paper as it were and and you yeah. don't want to be you don't want to limit yourself right you don't want to get too mm-hmm. bogged down into like one design because then maybe that isn't the right design right and and you're like but i have all this time invested in writing all this code it's like well yeah but you should you know you should just do whatever works best right and and for me anyway um i feel like if i were to write code that would just i'd feel too i don't know weird about like getting rid of all of it whereas for whatever reason a sketch document is like yeah whatever just delete it and re- make a new one yeah you're like less attached to it um yeah something we did um at dev mountain when it was like an in-person boot camp that i was teaching at is we found these sticky notes but they weren't the square ones they were actually uh like iphone shaped almost, right oh yeah cool. um which was like the perfect aspect yeah. ratio for for a screen and so we we taught like very quick iterations and i think we talked about iterations last episode but that's the whole thing is like if you're not married to your design that's a good thing because maybe i make a design and then ben and dimitri come and look at it and they're like this doesn't really make sense mm-hmm. i just spent maybe 30 seconds with a sharpie marker right. you know making this up or uh, maybe yeah. a few minutes in sketch and so those iterations can happen faster and ultimately right. you'll most likely end up with a better design overall um, so kind of like, kind of circling back to my original question of, you know, why would you use a design program or even a piece of paper? I think the big thing is iterations and you not being uh, beholden to the amount of work that you put in to make, to implement a design that maybe isn't the best uh, experience for your user. Yeah, mm-hmm. agreed. And ultimately use a tool that you are super proficient with. If you right. have never drawn anything like before, and that's going to be hard for you to kind of visualize what's in your head, in your head, then maybe using a graphics tool on the computer is easier because you don't have to get everything perfect. You can undo, you can fidget with it afterwards. Mm -hmm. It's not like once you draw it on the paper, then you have to grab your eraser and try 17 times to get a a circle, like looking something like a circle. Mm -hmm. Um, So like you'll often hear a lot of these great designers, they can't draw at all. They're incapable of it because they just don't do that. They use a different kind of tool that helps them do things a lot more accurately because you can fidget with it after the fact. So Mm -hmm. that's another great use for these graphics programs. Um, And you can learn them little by little and get quite proficient quite quickly um, without like needing to master like how to operate a pencil in your hand, which is a lot harder for a lot of people than uh, it seems, especially. And I wanted to bring up to Spencer, you said those uh, sticky notes that are like iPhone sized. Mm-hmm. You don't realize this, but when you draw something with like your hand or when you write on those little screens, you are doing it at a much larger size than your UI will actually be. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't account for that. So they think that, oh, I'm running out of space. I put like my three icons here and there's no more room at all. When in reality, when you start coding that, your icons are going to be tiny compared to yeah. what you just drew. Right. Um, because you're holding your phone much closer than you're holding a pad. So like your brain is not correcting for that very well uh, when you're drawing it. So it's something to keep in mind when you are drawing that. Try to write much smaller than you think it will yeah. be because it's going... <laughs> sure. Like text on the phone is very small compared to your handwriting. Um, and it's often surprising if you don't know to look out for that. Yeah. Um, so I guess starting from that UI point... Uh, when you are kind of jumping into a uh, project, do you start with the model and the business logic, or do you start with the UI aspect of it? Like, which aspect do you find more helpful to kind of guide the project along? 
Well, I think for me, just because of, like I said, the, um, the kind of prototyping out a feature generally tends to be something uh, non-UI related. And so I might already have a little bit of that code. Um, so for example, maybe I'm making sure that a REST API works and I'm able to get everything I want it to. Then I'd go and build out the model and everything first uh, as opposed to the UI myself. So I probably lean more on the model side. Yeah, I think for me, it kind of depends, again, it kind of depends on the project and also kind of how I've been thinking about it. If if in my head I've been focused on the visual aspect of the, you know, the user experience, then I might start working with that again, just to try and kind of like empty my brain of those thoughts that have been swirling about those things so that I can kind of get them onto paper and then, and then that way they're not in my head anymore and I kind of have like room for other for other other ideas of, about it because I tend to kind of get stuck on things sometimes. Um, and then other times if I'm thinking about it and I'm like really worried about, well, how am I going to collect the data and where is it going to come from and where am I going to put it and am I, is it going to be lo- only local or is it going to be also synced with the server? Or you know, if, if I'm kind of approaching the idea from that perspective – then I might start in, you know, if I'm going to use core data, I might start in the data modeler inside Xcode and just start adding entities to it and, and start to kind of like think about what's, what goes where and then how those things relate, right? I, I use a combination of both the, I typically mostly actually fill out core data as a model uh, using whatever they call the, 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 the sort of line item model view of it. And then mm-hmm. I often switch to the, what is effectively kind of like an, an entity relationship diagram looking design to a schema design to kind of see, I want to see what the data looks like and how they relate with sort of the arrows that point from object to object. So um, I might start in there and I might work through that and then go, okay, well now I have all this data, how am I going to display it? And so, you know, UI kind of come second in that case. But I think for me, again, it just kind of depends on like, um, where I've been kind of how I've been thinking about the problem. Um, and if it's, if it's UI focused in it's in, in what I've been thinking about, then I go that, that way. And if it's data focused, and I think it depends too, like on how much data, if the data model is really simple for the app that I'm trying to build, sure. then, it, then the data model isn't as important. And you're like, nah, I got that. The hard part's going to be the UI, right? Whereas if it's like, Oh no, there's lots and lots of data that we're going to collect and it's going to be heavily related to each other and stuff. Then maybe that is the, the, the the problem I want to tackle first. So it again, kind of like it's like my favorite answer in programming. <laughs> to every question depends. It depends. It depends. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it might be an oversimplification, but there are really kinds of two types of app experiences that you can kind of focus on for a new product. You're either solving a problem that is well solved, and you're not really putting any engineering effort into solving that problem per se, but fixing the experience around that problem and making that experience really joyful to use. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's when you're highly UI focused. You want a very custom experience, lots of animations, lots of uh, different ways of accessing data that is fairly plain and simple. Um, And at that point, like that is the focus, as you said, Ben, you want to focus on that UI um, because that experience is what's going to make or break uh, the app, the, the underlying model, whatever you're, Uh, doing with it is not necessarily super complicated whereas there's another kind of app where the business logic or the problem that you're trying to solve is super complicated and you've cracked that code 
Um, at which point the UI is maybe less important because you are solving something that's really hard to solve um, by matter of your app existing. So the UI can be secondary to that um, in terms of driving uh, the app sales in the future. Yeah, I think that's, of course, getting that's an... the best of both would be the well, ultimate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say that's like the interesting part is like finding that balance. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think you're right where... Um, for example, just thinking about like um, one of our students, I just saw that he retweeted. I think he's working at a place that makes uh, a new mail app, uh, like an email app. And I was like, okay, sweet. Now we've got, you know, another one that's competing in like the, the, Hey, uh, what is it? Super, super human or whatever, you know, oh, like yes, the high human, end yeah. mm-hmm. um, email apps with a bunch of features. But um, I, I was looking at it and it was very iOS like, well, just really good design that looked very sort of native to iOS and not anything, you know, crazy cross cross platform or anything. So maybe that's kind of the niche they're trying to fulfill is just make a, a natural feeling email experience where there are thousands, I'm sure, of email apps by now. Yeah. Not to say making an email app is not easy in no. terms of like the back end parts. <laughs> also sure, a complicated sure. problem, which is why there aren't tons of email apps that just like work natively without a server component. Um, okay, so from the point of view of building out your project, uh, lots of people like using an issue tracker of some sort to kind of uh, guide the project along. And this can go from very simple, a list of to-dos on a piece of paper or in your notes, uh, to moderately complicated, something like GitHub issues, which is relatively simple, but still a one-up over uh, your handwritten note. Um, to something that takes care of the problem for you, like Jira, um, and honestly scares me a little. Um, <laughs> so uh, what uh, what sort of platform do you think is appropriate for which level of app um, when it comes time to actually planning the next steps? Like you've got your app started, now it's yeah. time to actually collect all the bugs that you're uh, seeing. It's time to see where 1.1 is going to go um, so mm-hmm. that way you can finish 1.0. Um, or even if you have a well-established app and you're just keeping it going, like what sort of apps do you think, not what sort of solutions do you think uh, help solve that problem well? That's a that's a good way to think about it. I think is not just not just what is the correct answer, right? Like bar like it's a full stop. <laughs> it's yeah. it's what is the correct answer within the context in which you are you find yourself, right? And I think that's that's a better way to think about it because a, a single person little tiny indie, right, uh, who's just building an app and getting it out there is not necessarily going to have the same needs as a five-person team, a 10-person team, a 100-person team, right? That it's a very, very different uh, needs there. Um, I think if you're an indie or if you're, you know, if you're a junior or something and you're trying to get an application into the app store and, and you know, maybe you're going to make a serious go of it, but it's basically going to be just you, then I think whatever... Whatever tool you feel comfortable with is probably the most important in that context because it is just going to be you. So you can think about only your sort of only your needs and only your concerns. Um, And you want something that's going to be uh, not a hassle, right? Like don't sign up for Jira just because you're like, well, I hear Jira is the solution for doing it. It's like maybe, but maybe not. Like in in your case, it may just be a whole bunch of sort of – you know, extra cruft and bureaucracy that you don't really need as a one-person team. 
Um, so if no, if you know, if a, a list of bugs and stuff in your notes is fine, then and you and you're happy with that, and you're able to, you know, you're able to maintain that list and and sort of prune it and and work through it, and it doesn't become a problem where you either like lose track of a bunch of them or or you don't update it and then it becomes stale. Like as long as those things aren't happening to you, then I think the solution that you pick is fine. Um, I would say though, the, the one caution that I would give is like if you are working on a team that is pretty much bigger than just you, if it's even just two people or two people is probably doable, but you know, you get much beyond like three people and it just, you know, those kinds of solutions kind of fall down because they're, they're just not robust enough. Um, then you need something a little bit more like GitHub issues or Jira or clubhouse. There's a, there's a one, there's one called clubhouse, which is not the audio, uh, iOS app. It is a, a well-established project management tool. Um, so there's, there's a whole bunch of things. There's a, you know, a thousand different ones. Fog bugs has been around forever. Um, so those are all options and they're anywhere from free to paid and anywhere from cheap to really, really expensive. Um, but, uh, I think it depends on what your, you know, if your goals are simple, I would say kind of like go with the simplest thing, but no simpler than that. And then, and then if you're, if your goals are maybe beyond just like tracking that data for yourself or for just you and your team if like for example you need to report this stuff to other people whether that be you know other teams within your company or the c-suite you know they want they want regular updates or something like if if you start to involve in particular i would say non-technical people into like the machinations of how software is built you really need something that again is like not going to be a hassle for you, whether it's just you by yourself or it's a hundred people because that becomes its own job. Um, but you also want something that hopefully can, can't, well, ideally can just give answers to people that want them. Even, you know, even if it's, if that's not somebody on the engineering team, um, that would be the ideal. But I found that in most cases, even when that is something that people say they want, when I say they, I mean people who are not technical, they end up, uh, coming to you anyway, right? They end up coming talking like, yeah, yeah, I know I can get in there and I can look at it and I can, I can figure that out. But like, I I don't want to, like, can you just give me the report? I just, I just want to know what's going on. Right. So Mm -hmm. in that vein, uh, you want something that is hopefully able to, uh, very easily and quickly produce for you information at at a, at a density that is appropriate to the audience you're going to give it to like quickly and easily. And you can say, here, here's a PDF or here's a, you know, whatever, an email, or whatever it might be so that basically you can make them happy and they can see the numbers and the whatever and the dates and yada, yada. And then you can get back to the important work of actually developing software. So I would say, uh, that's, that's what I've, what I've been trying to do. And, and what's really funny about this is, you know, coming on and joining you guys as a guest this week, uh, it's, totally just by coincidence, but we are literally doing exactly this at my day job right now. We're using, I think we just, I think we figured out we're using like five or six different tools like this among the various engineering teams mm-hmm. within my company. And we've decided that that's kind of crap and we want, we want to fix that. Um, and so we're kind of trying to coalesce around one solution and a really interesting thing that I would not have thought of. And that also, when it was proposed initially, like this morning, I immediately recalled my nose up at it. It was like, no, that's a terrible plan. But I've kind of, I think I'm coming around to it is actually using Notion as a singular tool. Um, and so for those that's of you who don't know what, plan. 
I know. <laughs> for what? For what the, so I, I think I was exactly on, on your side, Dimitri. I feel like there's a glimmer of interesting possibility here, but it also could totally fall on its face. So uh, for those of you that don't know what Notion is, Notion is just basically a, at a bare minimum, it's like a note-taking tool, um, but it's designed in such a way that it's incredibly flexible. Um, so you can do all kinds of stuff. You can write documentation. People have written software on top of notion that can like generate websites from notion documents and it's kind of created like this whole cottage industry anyway it's a very cool tool but it's also because it's so open-ended um i feel like in most cases when it's implemented it becomes a hot mess because they're because it's so open-ended and so flexible that if you don't enforce structure as an organization people just put whatever they want wherever they want and then it becomes a hot mess so uh i was just like nah this is a terrible plan (laughs) <laughs> what kind of has turned me around a little bit, and we're gonna, and we'll see the next next week. Literally on Monday, I'm gonna be getting uh, meeting with one of my team members, and we're gonna uh, and we're gonna like hash out like some structure, and then we're gonna demo it by basically taking some tickets and things out of the tool that we use, and and sort of recreating that like in a mini environment in Notion, and then just play with it for a week and just see if it makes sense. But what I what I'm what I'm intrigued by is the idea that we could have basically a board. Um, inside Notion that has tickets, that has cards, you know, user stories, tickets, bugs, whatever you want to call them. Um, and they can traverse through a workflow like you would normally have in a software dev environment. But also, because Notion is this extensible thing, we could basically create, right alongside that, we could create documentation, which is something we do not do very well. Um, and we could link them together, and we could also then very selectively give these non-technical people access to limited pages inside of our notion workspace that we could ser- that could serve as status updates and documentation stuff like that and that's what kind of intrigues me about this idea it's very possible that <laughs> it's not going to work but uh but that's something that that uh we've really been struggling with is is not only tracking like how we're doing and you know project planning and management but also you know like the API docs and the, and then like the just random stuff that you have to keep track of the you know the detritus of like of of building a product it ends up being like buried in slack and stuff like that and then and then you know like well well, two months ago somebody said something about something and that's the thing that i need right now and you're like okay well i gotta go find that right so that's what kind of intrigues me by it is is having the two things kind of right there but we'll see how it all shakes out um but kind of generally i would say you know, do do as much as you feel like helps you. And if it it feels like it's not helping you anymore and it's just like becoming a burden, then that's when you know that it's time to rethink what and why you're doing something. Because if you're just doing it to serve the tool, it's exactly backwards of what, what it should be, right? The tool should be serving you, not, not the other way around. It's so funny you mentioned Notion because as of we record this week, I had it with Notion, and we're using the Apple Notes just uh-huh. to have our show notes up. Yeah, uh, and I mostly had it with Notion because I could not copy paste text reliably. Yeah, and I was pulling out yeah. my few strands of hair, uh, <laughs> just like trying to manage that. And yeah. I like I it reached a certain point last week where I was just like, no more. Um, yeah. So uh, I, I I wish you the best. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. As long as you don't need to copy paste stuff too much, it's right, probably yeah. not a problem. And Notion is yeah. really good about like helping you build out nice looking mm-hmm. documents. Yeah. But the fact that it re-implements the entire tech stack, uh, text yeah. stack, uh, 
really got to me. <laughs> yes, I, I, I can sympathize with that for sure. So Spencer, what do you, do you what is what is your take on this? Like as far as uh, you know, we used I mean at Lambda School we used all kinds of different stuff. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it was we used Trello, we used Notion, we used you know various things. Um, how how would you like? I'd actually like to. I would be interested to hear like how you would compare maybe like how we ran that kind of thing at Lambda, which it's coding, but it's like teaching coding, so it's not like yeah. right on versus like what you do now, where you are you know basically directly programming a product and you know delivering it kind of are there things that you that you liked from lambda that you brought with you or that you're like no this is all terrible i'm switching to a different model like how how has that been for you transitioning from like planning about teaching versus planning about coding Mm -hmm. well in one sense it's been fairly similar even though the tools that we use are different like for for work uh, now i use jira or we use Mm -hmm. jira um, and yeah, like you said, we use Trello, we use notion for, mm-hmm. you know, we, we kind of, we're all over the place there and that's fine. But yeah. I think overall, one of the hardest things for me coming into this, uh, and not having done it too long in general was just learning how to manage a project at all. Right. Like, yeah. Why for me, it was like, why should I keep track of these? Uh, like, you know, <laughs> when I can just, uh, maybe put a, a comment in my code or put it in, in a note, like, mm-hmm. why do I need these mm-hmm. maybe um, more robust tools? But I really think it mm-hmm. is, like you said, what is the tool that is going to help you the most while causing the least amount of friction? Yeah. Um, for example, at work, we use Jira. And like Dimitri said, it's it, like you can get really scared by it. It is yeah. massive, everything it can do. And I don't even think we use all of it. But the good part is we have uh, b- both QA testers and um, users themselves uh, submitting bugs to us every single day. And so mm-hmm. we have literally thousands of Jira bugs and or tickets. Um, I think we're up to like almost 8,000 right now. I mean, it's a lot, right? Mm-hmm. But what's nice about Jira is you can, they're all assigned a specific, like a specific number, like LF, whatever number mm-hmm. for, mm-hmm. for number. Uh, well, yeah, for character number, it's very easy to, to slack someone and be like, Hey, can you take a look at LF, whatever, mm-hmm. and just mm-hmm. get it going. And there's less back and forth, kind of like you said, like I can just say, go look at this, or you can say, go mm-hmm. look at this to me rather than mm-hmm. typing it out on Slack which is great for a team of the size that we are. Um, however, I would never use it for myself personally. I think that's way too much, both uh, overhead and mental overhead just to use. Mm-hmm. Um, in my own personal projects, I've used um, GitHub projects, which I think works great. I, I really like that it can integrate with um, the issue system that's already bi- built into uh, any GitHub repository. So that's really mm-hmm. nice. Um but I've also just used Trello and maybe I didn't need, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Personally, I would probably use GitHub projects right now for the point I'm at. But in the past, mm-hmm. I have just used Trello just to keep it a little bit more organized than yeah. uh, a note, uh, you know, just a, right. a single note where I am uh, just have this big list. And I'm checking things, but I can kind of organize things and maybe add tags. Um, so, and that's free, uh, and actually, so is GitHub Projects. So, have you guys seen really that um, issues apparently is getting like a huge overhaul in just July or August? Oh where, no, that's yeah, cool, they though. get GitHub like tweet. I think they, I think I saw it on Twitter. They tweeted out like a little sort of mini like trailer video, basically like a minute long video of all the stuff that they're adding, and they're they're making it like it was already good, but they're making it like even better. My cool. only 
sort of I was like, oh, that's great. We should, maybe we can use it. And then, but then I thought, well, the problem is the one problem with it is that it, at least from what I can tell, like it does now, it it keeps you. It, it connects it very tightly to a repo, right? And like for example, mm-hmm. the software that 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 I work on at work is an iOS app, an Android app, a web API, and even a, a, a sister sort of app that we already had built on the web that did a bunch of things that it interfaces with. So like, while maybe there are certainly some tickets that are unique to each one, there's also kind of stuff we have to keep track of that is not, not connected to one specific repository. Mm-hmm. And so like, that's, I was like, well, it kind of falls down a little bit just because where do you, like, where do you put that, right? Where do you put stuff that doesn't belong yeah. in one of those things? So with so with GitHub, you can actually set up an organization level project that is tied oh. Oh. to individual repos. So the issues still live with the repo right. that they're associated with. But um, when you create that issue, you can associate it with a project, and it will okay. automatically show mm. that organization project if you tie it to those oh, repos. Nice. So you can have different org projects that are tied to different repos, and they'll automatically show up there, which is. Uh, quite nice. Now, as you said, like you're kind of limited to issues that fall into yeah. the repo hole. Um, right. And something that we've done is we just made a project management repo that has no code, uh, just smart. <laughs> um, a place to put issues. And a really nice thing with modern GitHub issues is you can move an issue from one repo to another. So you can mm. have that be the, the initial place they go into, and then you can go ahead and move them once it becomes more clear where the, the actual issue is. That's cool. Um, one thing I did want to bring up, especially with this GitHub upgrade, um, is I've really liked GitHub's issues and projects simply because they're dead simple. There's mm-hmm. not a lot to customize, not mm-hmm. a lot to micromanage yourself mm-hmm. with. So mm-hmm. one of the easiest things to get lost with a lot of these projects with is you can set up a bunch of fields. Oh, great. I can say mm-hmm. what part of the app it is, <laughs> like how long this is going to take, how long it took me, what yeah. priority. And you find yourself like getting very happy about filling all that out mm-hmm. and not fixing the issue, yeah. which uh, is a super easy hole to find yourself in. Um, and again, this gets more complicated when you're with a team of other people because then all of a sudden you're deciding things for other individuals that yeah. may or may not be true for uh, the project as a whole. So I want to caution anyone that's going from like the step zero of having a handwritten list of to-dos to one of these systems is one pick a system that is very simple to start with especially if it's the first time you're kind of jumping to one of these yeah github issues is great for that and two don't use all of its features use it like you have been using it just as a better categorization like organizational system yeah. you can search that is already a 100 percent level up of what you were doing um, and then only after you get used to that go ahead and explore okay tagging is this going to be useful for me to tag these things or is it just going to be busy work that is not going to amount to anything? In the past, for a project, I set up 20 tags for different areas and all sorts of different things. I've not once used those tags to go ahead and search <laughs> and filter things after the fact. So it's kind of not something that benefited me in any way. Um, so think very hard about like how those different things are going to kind of interplay um, and kind of use them little by little and work your way up to using the whole feature suite, especially with something like Jira. Jira allows you to oh, configure yeah. and reprogram itself um, in any sort of situation that you need, which is great if someone did that 
step for you. If you are kind of responsible with setting up Jira yeah. or any one of these projects, you can reconfigure it to do anything. That is a bad thing if, yeah. if you're just jumping in because it allows you to kind of get stuck in the weeds of just configuring that system and not actually using it. Um, and then you feel like, oh, I'm using it incorrectly, and then you stop using it. Um, so try to find something that's easy, um, that is not going to give you a whole lot of friction at first, and yeah. work up, work yourself up to using the full feature suite because it's going to be uh, a lot easier. So I'm kind of uh, hesitant to be excited about GitHub issues, like getting a big upgrade, <laughs> because they're adding all those pieces that I simultaneously want, mm. but also don't want because it just adds friction in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does make it a better tool for more people. Um, so there, there's that to look forward to. Um, just don't get stuck in the weeds of uh, the custom fields and different things here and there in terms of how to set it up. I guess one more thing that I wanted to go over, um, all these different systems use like different terminology for the same thing. So I figured we can probably go over those really mm-hmm. quickly because... Like myself three years ago was completely oblivious to what on earth an epic and a story was. (laughs) Um, And it makes no sense. It's like, so don't worry about it if you too are confused. Uh, So let's kind of go over them starting at the the very beginning. So you can have a bug, an issue, a task. They're all kind of the same thing. Something to do. Like Mm -hmm. it's it's very simple, right? Um, If it's something that doesn't work, if it's something that you need to implement, if it's something that you want to change... Just go ahead and log it. It comes in a variety of different names. Um, GitHub's ones are all negative. They're all issues. Um, whereas <laughs> some of them like paint them in a better light. Uh, so it's like, oh, the bug is something to look forward to, to when you tackle it next time. Uh, so it's, it's just purely a word that's attached to something you need to do, um, like a to-do. And then you have, uh, and I'm probably going to get this wrong at this stage because I, the Jira terminology confuses me, but has become pervasive. You have <laughs> milestones and stories. Is that correct? Are those the same thing? Uh, n- n- well, not as far as I understand them. I don't. I don't <laughs> use. I don't use Jira, but but uh, but I've used other tools that use those things. So, generally speaking, a story is is basically the same more or less the same level of as like a bug or a task or a feature um it's kind of a one unit one work item that you're going to work on and and the reason why it's called a story is because it's typically connected to a user story and a user story is really nothing more than a way of 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 thinking about a feature or a bug or something so it's kind of the really standard common way to think about a user story is um they literally have you follow a script which is like as a user user yeah i want to be able to do x in the app right and and the reason why that might be of course you can kind of become beholden to that mantra and then it like it it starts to again that you're serving the tool rather than the tool serving you but um in the ideal situation thinking about it like that makes you think about implementing features in a user-centric way and generally speaking, that's good because it can get really easy for you to kind of like get bogged down in the weeds and forget that there are people that are actually going to use this thing <laughs> and it needs to work well and needs to make sense and needs to be obvious. So I think the reason why they were created as like a methodology was just like, let's stop thinking about software as just a technical matter and start thinking about it as 
as from the human computer interaction perspective of like a real person's going to use this thing on their phone let's make sure that when we designed it it like makes sense to those to those people in addition to maybe somebody like me who who wrote the thing and therefore has like this really intimate knowledge of of how it's supposed to work it also has to work for somebody who just walks up and you hand them the phone and like here try this out right um so anyway user stories typically are like at that level whereas a milestone so that's it so i i would consider a milestone and an epic to be like more or less potentially the same thing um like so an an epic is from what i understand just a collection of stories it's just it's just a way to group stories together and then a milestone is composed of one or more epics so and it's just it's like hierarchy it's just you're just creating hierarchy which does make sense right like if you're building an app and you and maybe you have like somebody working on the login screen and somebody working on like the screen that they used to create an account those are two stories and then the two of them together and maybe like a little tutorial that you're going to run form onboarding as a as a thing right so like maybe you could have an epic called onboarding that contains right. those stories and then either that by itself could be a deliverable so to me a milestone is a deliverable it's like Mm-hmm. I want to give this, I want to like deliver this to our testers or whoever, right? New version of the app. Yeah, new version of the app, whatever, right? So um, a milestone to me is a deliverable. Um, and whether that deliverable gets shipped or not is a separate story, but like, you know, at least it's ready to go, right? So maybe with that onboarding epic, you're like, okay, that that enough by itself is a deliverable. So that epic goes into a milestone that is just that, right? Other times you might have like, well, we've got some stories. They go into a couple of different epics, and then those couple of epics roll up into the thing that we're going to deliver, which is the milestone, right? So, what's kind of cool about this, I think, is that since they're it's at least for I know they're not that well like nailed down. You can kind of like use them how you want to use them, um, and that is both I think interesting and also annoying <laughs> i think especially as developers we want everything to be like no no two plus two is always four so like i want to want to make sure what's the definition of this and then i want to make sure that i'm doing exactly what it's how it's defined and so when things get kind of squirrely right where like they can kind of be whatever you want we're like ooh, i don't i don't like this in this it, like i don't like all this choice right like all <laughs> it's too much choice um so so i guess that would be my advice is like if you can just kind of chill about that kind of stuff and, and, and realize like this kind of is all just made up and you can just use it however you want. Uh, and so if like you, you're like milestones are pointless to me, you just throw them out and don't even use them. Right. And you just use, maybe you just use stories and, and epics or you don't like epics and you throw those out and you just put stories in a milestone or you're like, I'll just have a list of things. And then whenever I feel like we're ready, we'll ship those. Right. Like it, it, at the end of the day, it's all just designed to help you be organized. And if, you're finding it to be just like a task that you have to constantly prune this list and adjust everything, then it's just, now it's just a chore, right? That's no good. Yeah. When, when you mentioned the user stories, it immediately reminded me that there's a Twitter account called <laughs> shit user story. Yeah. Um, and it, it's exactly these cards, but yes. for the, the dark patterns of yes. mostly the web, uh, but pretty much anything. So I, I have one it's in front excellent. of me. It says, as a user, I want to jump through the hoops of a gatekeeping chatbot with a human yet quirky name like Ruby who will confront me with a wall of links to unrelated FQ pages while asking me for feedback on her incompetence so that support fields fewer calls. Nice. So right. um, <laughs> highly recommend giving that a a few hours of your time just to 
Peru. I have experienced and... that. What what that what, what that was describing? I have I, that has been me before. Uh, you know, like just like no, I don't. These, these links are not helpful. I already have been to these places. <laughs> just let me talk to a human, please. Have you tried turning it off and on again? <laughs> yep. You know, Jira, GitHub issues, notes. However, however you arrange it, it's it's likely to eventually become annoying. It's like yeah. no matter kind of what level uh, you're like, I'm going to be real simple or we're going to be real complicated, but therefore very organized, right? Like no matter what level you pick, you always end up, I think, eventually hating the thing that is supposed to help you. Um, so uh, while I certainly wouldn't um, suggest that people uh, wildly switch from tool to tool to tool, um, it is something that like, you know, make sure that make sure that you're like taking a look at it every once in a while, and going, "Is this helping? Is like, is this is this helpful? Are we getting out of this yeah. what we want to get? Like, especially if you're paying for it, right? Like, are we mm-hmm. getting our eight dollars per user per month worth right out of this thing? And if and if the answer is no, then then maybe you know maybe go like I guess maybe like go down a level, right? So if yeah, you're like this exactly. thing is like not working for us, let's let's go let's go simpler, right? Um, which I, also I feel like is kind of what is mildly intriguing me about the possibility of us using notion at my day job is while i just i can totally see it turning into complete chaos um at the same time it is simpler than what we're doing now which is like using six different tools (laughs) so so maybe the simplification would be good and something my boss said today which i thought was really kind of interesting is that uh, he doesn't want us to pick any of the tools that we are already using where we all jump on that tool because then that means that one of the teams will, the bad mm-hmm. habits they've developed <laughs> will just continue because they were the ones that were already using yeah, whatever true. the tool is, right? So he's like, I want us to pick something that's new because then for one, it gives everybody like a shared sense of pain. Like we're all learning a new thing together and maybe that will help us focus and also try and come up with like a collective solution that works for everyone rather than four teams being like, this is awful. And then like the one team, like, I don't know what you're talking about. This is great. We've been using this for two years. Uh, so I, th- I thought that was a really kind of interesting insight uh, into like when you do inevitably, eventually probably change tools because it just, you realize that it's not working for you. I like, I kind of like the idea of uh, trying something totally new because, because you, you might, it's going to force you to kind of rethink some of these things and there's going to be less chance of um, of like these bad habits just rolling over, right? Like you're probably going to develop new bad habits, but at least they'll be new and not the same ones that you've already, you've already had. Right. Something I just want to reiterate, and I, and I think we've said this, but just to be super clear, something that popped in my head was um, if you're like a new developer or you know, you're know you're trying to figure out your own project management for yourself – don't get the feeling that you have to use Jira to have a successful app or something right. like that's one thing I want to be clear about because <laughs> there is nothing, there's no benefit from you using the paid tool because it's, it's the best mm-hmm. and that's what big companies use. I, I promise mm-hmm. you, like I said, there would be way more overhead of you just trying to use the tool and customize it. Like Dimitri said, yeah. even maybe GitHub uh, projects is too much for you. Like whatever it is, don't don't feel like you have to use the tool that everyone else is using. Everyone is going to organize and plan their projects different. I think some level of project planning and organization is is key, but not necessarily which tool you use, if that makes sense. 
And you might be surprised to learn that there are a whole bunch of indie, very successful indie, like iOS developers in particular, who make apps that you've definitely heard of um, and that are very, you know, wildly successful indie apps in the App Store. And if you were to ask them, you know, what kind of software, like, management tool do you use, they would just laugh at you and go, uh, I don't know notes like they yeah they, yeah, they don't ever remember from right? yesterday <laughs> yeah i mean yeah like they don't use anything and yet and or or they use just like a you know their the notes app or they use like a note a physical notepad on their desk or or post-its or you know they they their their solution is very like low tech compared to maybe mm-hmm. it's like jira um but uh and despite perhaps despite that they're like wildly successful and exactly. sell lots and lots of copies so again it doesn't i think it's a great point uh, Spencer, that like, uh, it's it's not like I use I use an expensive app. tool, therefore the the app is successful. Yeah. <laughs> they don't exactly. necessarily have any correlation to each other. Um, yeah, and you can do it the other way around. Wait till your app is successful yes. before investing in the <laughs> yes. expensive yes. tools. Yeah, uh, because you don't, absolutely do not need expensive tools to make any sort of good product, especially in software development. Like you can yep. get by in the bare minimum uh, if if you have if you have that that energy and uh dedication to finish what you're doing that will get you farther than any and than anything else really yeah this week's episode of code completion is sponsored to you by super easy timer super easy timer is a quick and easy to use timer app for your mac it's completely text-based so you can type in english what you want 20 minutes or 5 p.m hit enter and instantly start a timer the timer understands english text to create update and start a new timer. You can quickly change an active countdown, even while it's still counting down. There are simple keyboard shortcuts to reset or pause, but no menus, no sliders, just use English to control your timer. We want to thank Super Easy Timer for sponsoring our show. Search for Super Easy Timer on the Mac App Store today to give it a try. So now that we've gone through our topics, it's time for Complete the Code, where we quiz our listeners on your knowledge of Swift, Apple, and all things development. Spencer? Yeah, so we have a winner from last week who is Craig Swanson. Uh, he writes, I think it's the option command slash, yes? Uh, thanks to uh, at Mr. Flowers 22 for teaching me that gem. Uh, and of course, that is the answer. Command forward slash hopefully, or sorry, helpfully will comment or uncomment uh, a line of code. But if you use command option forward slash, a documentation template uh, will be added to the line of code you're editing, allowing you to easily add documentation um, to the method, property, or type your coding. Uh, so that's really cool. I think that's a good, uh, you know, documentation-driven development tip that we could all use in our day today. Especially um, with Doxy coming soon, right? Hey, exactly. Got some good tools for that. Um, this week we have another command-related question. Uh, if you're listening to the podcast, please check the podcast art uh, or the show notes to follow along. Uh, we have some code that sets up a label, but we misspelled our variable. Uh, which key command in Xcode will allow you to rename that variable you've selected uh, everywhere else it appears in the current scope? So can you complete the code? Tweet your answers to us with hashtag complete the code, all one word. Uh, the first to get it right, we'll get a shout out on the next time we record. So with all that out of the way, it's time for Compiler, a segment where I get to test my fellow completionist knowledge all about Swift, Apple, and all things development. Today we have a theme, and that is actors, which is a new feature as of uh, this year's Dub Dub. Uh, so let's go through these one at a time. Uh, so actors are a reference type distinct from classes that enable thread-safe access to the data within the actor by gating access behind async members. 
Statement number two. Actors can be used from Objective-C so long as the type is marked with at Objective-C, uh, and only non-isolated and asynchronous methods are called. Statement number three. Actors can be accessed from a non-asynchronous asynchronous code uh, within the same module so long as only let properties or non-isolated methods are called. And statement number four. Actors are implemented using special GCD queues and locks under the hood at compile time, minimizing bugs that arise from incorrect usage of isolated properties. Uh, so, uh, Ben, since it's been a while since you last joined, uh, <laughs> this is your opportunity to shine. One of the many WW videos that I have not yet watched <laughs> is the one about actors. The five um, about async and actors. <laughs> yeah, there's. Yeah, so I, wa- I at this point I I've seen I've seen a few, but and I I did watch the. Um, was it meet meet async await? I think is what they call that mm-hmm. that first one. Um, but uh, I have not dug into actors um, other than whatever they mentioned in the keynote and whatever they might have mentioned in the platform setting union, which I don't think was very much. Um, so uh, I'm going to be flying blind here. I, I don't really know. I know like extremely vaguely, maybe kind of what they're for. But uh, I am I'm not a programmer that used async await in other. Uh, in other languages, so even even that is a fairly new concept to me uh, in Swift. So uh, I, I I have no faith in my ability to answer this <laughs> successfully. Um, but uh, let's just kind of go through it. So reference type distinct from classes that enable thread safe access to the data within the actor by gating access behind async members. So that does sound reasonable because from what I know about actors, that's they're trying to sort of help you with async code so that you don't screw it up. So that sounds like that could be plausible. And since only one of these is wrong, we're, we're going to leave that alone for now. It seems reasonable enough. Uh, actors can be used from Objective-C codes as long as they're, uh, the type is marked with Objective-C. That is a common thing to expose um, the usage of that thing with the Objective-C runtime. So that, again, seems reasonable. And only non-isolated and asynchronous methods are called. Again, seems reasonable since we're dealing with with, uh, with concurrent programming type stuff. Um, Actors can be accessed from non-asynchronous code within the same module, so long as they as only let properties that are non-isolated methods are called. So there's no right access to any of that stuff. So again, seems reasonable. Let's let's see what number four looks like. Actors are implemented using special GCD queues and locks under the hood at compile time, minimizing bugs that arise from incorrect usage of isolated properties. That sounds like the way that Apple would do it. So I got nothing. Uh, they all sound reasonable to me. I'm sure there's something very obvious that if people have listened, or, you know, watched the talk, or like. How are you not getting this? But I, I haven't seen it yet. So um, I'm going to go with... Hmm. I'm going to go with... I don't know. I feel like one is a decent definition and two seems reasonable for... Well, assuming that Metro C access is allowed at all because there's all, all kinds of things in Swift that you can't get to from Metro C. So... Um, the possibility there, of course, is that that's entirely false because it's not possible. But assuming that it is, it seems reasonable. I'm going with three, and that is based on... That's just a guess. I've, <laughs> that's, I have no faith in, in, in my performance here tonight. Spencer? Good, good luck, Spencer. <laughs> yeah, Hopefully you I watch know, the right? video. I, not this one. Nope. I did <laughs> watch the same one as you, the Me Day Sync Away. But that's... Oh, great. That's about it. With, with and we could have shined tonight, Spencer. I we know. could have shined. We just watched that dang video. I know. Um, yeah, I'm kind of leaning towards two or four. 
Um, I believe that actors are a reference type, but that they're distinct from classes. And so I'm wondering if it's not a class, can it be used within Objective-C? I mean, it, mm. I guess it could conform mm -hmm. to NS object protocol. And I think that would probably give it the same functionality. Um, but also, and I haven't looked into this. And so this is why I'm a little confused is under the hood, is it using uh, GCD or is it using something separate? And I, I want to say mm. it's not Swift Neo, but I'm wondering, wasn't there an open source implementation of um, concurrent programming on iOS? Anyway, um, I think I'll go with full four. Yeah. Mm. Not thinking that's an excellent choice, but... Solid reasoning, <laughs> if nothing else. <laughs> Mine was a guess, so at least you had like something behind it so since you all agree with number one uh let's go over this one first so actors are a reference type distinct from classes uh so what this means is that an actor is like a class but it is not a class um and that is actually the case so an actor is its own type um in swift uh and this one is completely true so good job so far um and the way you annotate an actor is instead of saying class my type you say actor my type they can inherit from each other, but only from other actors. Um, so that is something to keep in mind. Uh, and they are unique in that uh, the the compiler will kind of keep track for you if you're accessing a isolated property on the actor or not, and an isolated property of another instance of that actor or not. So it will make sure that if you need an async, you can put an async, but if you don't need one, you don't need to put one there um, to make sure that everything is kind of accessed um, appropriately. So good job so far. That leads us to number two, where actors can be used from Objective-C. So you bring up some good points, Spencer, um, with regard to if this were possible, they could potentially do it with NS object protocol, and this is exactly how they do it. So um, as, since these are not classes, they don't inherit from NS object, but they do uh, conform to NS object protocol if you mark them with add Objective-C. Um, and what this means is that if you access them from Objective-C code, or at least the members that you've annotated, you access them as asynchronous methods with completion handlers. So that is all kind of hmm. taken care of for you, hmm, um, which cool. is really neat that they thought to include that backwards compatibility in with it. So this leads us uh, to number three. And Ben, you think that this one is false purely from guesswork. Um, and... <laughs> Like, as far as... Uh, I got a 50-50 chance. Like, <laughs> As far as nitty-gritty uh, details of the underlying implementation go, uh, you are unfortunately incorrect that this one is false because it is absolutely true that within the same module, uh, you can access uh, non-asynchronous um, members of an actor without an async keyword. But if you're not in the module, meaning you're in the app that's using the module, you need to use async because things can change and they're not uh they can't be like optimized at compile time uh for those use cases so sorry ben uh but Makes this sense. means that excellent job spencer for sussing out uh number four actors do not use specialized gcd queues or locks under the hood at all um so it's actually really fascinating how this is all implemented um swift now will have access to its own thread pool one thread per uh core and instead of utilizing locks and queues and things like that, um, work items are essentially created every single time 
you use the async keyword. And I forget what they call these work items. I think they're just called um, uh, cancellation points or something. I probably have that wrong. Um, you know how it is when you need to think of the terminology at the <laughs> in the nick of time. But um, there are these special points. Uh, every time you use um, await, basically, um, that will uh, disconnect the code that is coming after that keyword from the code that it was running up until that point. And it's going to create a work item for that code and just put it into Swift's global queue, essentially. Um, and then whatever hmm. uh, thread opens up, um, basically whichever thread calls a wait on something, if there's something that finished, it will just go ahead and run that on that thread. Mm. And it's going to make sure to not run code for the same actor on two threads at once. That's all it's going to do. So it doesn't need a lock. It doesn't need to maintain a heavy stack. Um, in fact, what it does is super neat. Uh, it will archive the stack at that point in time, put it on the heap. Um, and then when you kind of jump back to that point, it copies the stack back from the heap to the stack. Hmm. So that way everything kind of uh, stays where it was. So you can go ahead and string hundreds of these awaits one after another, and you're not going to end up in the same situation where uh, you do with GCD and just calling methods one after another, where your stack slowly grows over time and you actually run yeah. out of space on that stack, especially on background threads, which don't have the same stack allocations as the main thread, uh, which I didn't even know. So apparently that's a big problem on Swift on Linux is background threads mm. or just threads that are not the main thread have a much smaller stack. So therefore you actually run the risk of hitting that limit um, very easily if you aren't careful, which um, is a problem. Uh, so uh, as, as you both alluded to, uh, I would definitely recommend uh listening to that last talk um on uh on how all of this is put together under the hood it's really fascinating how they kind of implemented it and it seems like async await at least in swift is a very different thing than async await and other languages which are just syntactic sugar uh this is actually a full language feature that kind of coordinates just using multiple threads but without stepping on it on each other at any point because the compiler makes sure that you can't write code that steps on it itself. Um, so that means at runtime it can be very simple um, and speedy, uh, which is super neat. Does async await exist on, in JavaScript? Yes, but it's basically syntactic How does that work? sugar because it's not multi-threaded. So right. it's, it's just uh, queuing a completion handler for later, basically. Mm. Huh. Interesting. So if you had that, con I don't even know if you have that concept in JavaScript where you can you have completion handlers. But it basically says, okay, the code that's coming after this point, it's going to wait for this resource, and we're just going to mm -hmm. put it back on the run loop when that time comes. So mm. it's it's basically using that single mm. run loop model uh, to make that work. Um, and yeah, so it, don't don't go ahead and think if if you've used async await, not YouTube because I know you haven't, uh, but if you have used async await uh, in your your programming language of choice up until this point don't automatically assume that it's the same thing in Swift. It seems like they're using similar terminology for the same semantic concept, but uh, the underlying implementation is very different, um, and that might impact uh, what you're doing in several different ways. For instance, uh, anytime you use um, await, don't assume that you're going to come back to the same thread that you were on. So if you save things to mm -hmm. a particular thread, um, and there are ways of doing this to save thread-specific information, you're basically not going to be able to retrieve that uh, safely mm. using this uh, API, and that's one of the big gotchas 
that you should be aware of. Similarly, <laughs> don't go ahead and put blocking code on any of these threads because that is going to kind of send the whole system um, out of whack because you're going to permanently tie up one of those threads and there's only right. a certain amount. It's not going to bring up a new thread for you uh, like GCD will, um, which is actually one of the problems with GCD because as soon as it needs to bring up a new thread, you end up with thread after thread after thread that's created mm-hmm. and then you just have a giant pool way more than your computer can actually uh, deal with um, that it now needs to deal with. Hmm. Interesting. Okay, so quick follow-up with that. Uh, and maybe you know because you, you've watched the video. But what about <laughs> uh, something like you know an, uh, an NS-managed object context that does... Yeah, need to be thread specific like how does is there special provisions for that or i think there's a video about that isn't there didn't they have like a core data and oh, well, video they I'm just digging my own grave more i did not watch that video so i can't tell you specifically <laughs> but from what i can guess um there is the concept of the main actor uh and the main actor is not right. an actor like every other actor is it's basically just a hint to the Swift compiler that we need to switch back to the main thread um, for that operation. Um, and I assume Core Data probably has a similar kind of construct that you can go ahead and use to make sure that you are calling Core Data stuff from the proper thread uh, mm. that it needs to be called at. Cool. Uh, real-time follow-up. So it's called Bring Core Data Concurrency to Swift and Swift UI, And it says... Discover how Core Data is adopting the new concurrency abilities of Swift 5.5, leading to concise, leading to more concise, efficient, and safe asynchronous code. Hey, there you go. Yep. So um, if you want to start using Actors, uh, you need the latest versions of the OS. They are not backwards compatible features, uh, to many people's chagrin, and it makes sense because they are so deeply tied with how the OS yeah. is actually running, um, at least on iOS and macOS. On Linux, it's a different story because there's no such thing as ABI stability. So you just ship your version of Swift, um, and that's the version of Swift that's on the system. Um, but for iOS and macOS, uh, you unfortunately have to make sure to use iOS 15 or macOS mm-hmm. 12 uh, to use these features. But if you did want to use actors, you can have as many actors as you want. Um, so use them like reference types. They are independently isolated. So if you have a chat room, uh, or if you have an app with chat rooms, every chat room can have its own actor um, and operate independently. Mm. If you have a network manager, that network manager can be an actor. Um, and in that case, you end up with just one instance. So it can be a situation where you have one or many. Um, it always pretty much works because they are very lightweight um, at runtime. It's the compiler that's actively making sure that you don't make mistakes. So as always, I want to personally thank everyone for listening in this week. Please be sure to follow us on Twitter at Code Completion to know when new episodes get released. And feel free to tweet at us if there's a specific topic you'd like for us to dig into. Most importantly, as a small podcast, please be sure to share this with your friends and family who are also interested in any part of the process of app development. It's your support that enables us to continue doing this, and we hope to grow a healthy community around everything we discuss. So once again, I want to give my thanks to Ben, who is at FerrisGuy, that's F-E-R-R-O-U-S-G-U-I on Twitter, and Spencer, who is at Spencer C. Curtis, that's S-P-E-N-C-E-R-C-C-U-R-T-I-S on Twitter, for joining me this week. My name, once again, is Dimitri. You can find me at Dimitri Bunyol. That's D-I-M-I-T-R-I-B-O-U-N-I-O-L. And we'll see you all next week. Bye. Now, TikTok, which I will admit, I have TikTok on my home screen, and I watch it, like, way more often than I probably (laughs) should. It is incredibly entertaining. Uh, Their algorithm is creepy in, like, the way that that it somehow manages to... 
know what you're going to find interesting. Um, and and there and I gotta say that uh, to be fair, I I did, was not a Snapchat user. I was not an, I'm not an Instagram user. I didn't use. I never really watched the story stuff. But like the the full screen video and you just swipe to go to the next one thing, it's it's uh, and like how you swipe the next video and it starts playing within a second is just it's it's really bad. It's really bad because it <laughs> it makes you. Just want to keep scrolling. Just keep. In fact, what I do is I basically like I'll, I'll watch them and I'll favorite them. I'll favorite the ones that are really funny. And then basically, when I end up at the end of the day, it's like I show Doug when it's at like the end of the day. I'm like, here, here is, here is your very own personal curated sub list <laughs> of the best TikToks that I'm now gonna I'm now gonna show you, and we laugh about them. Like he doesn't even have to. I mean, he watches. He he uses TikTok as well, just you know by himself. But. But uh, we will we will save them and then like show them to each other. Like, look at the, look how funny this is. So, I feel like anyway. I use TikTok in just two ways. One is waiting for people to post TikTok videos to Twitter. Um, uh-huh. At which point, there's like often a thread that you can just go ahead and okay. watch of nice. their curation of the day. Uh huh. Um, Very good. And then the second way is I have a tab open on my iPad of a very particular TikTok user like account. And every day uh-huh. they're updating, uh, like, everyone on a story that is completely bonkers. So, like, this surely happened years ago at this point. But there's this person that uh, has their ex cheat on them. But then this ex turns out to be, like, a criminal uh, and had other wives and killed their father and what? is after them. It's, like, a complete bonkers story oh that gosh. I am convinced at this point is completely fabricated. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> or is like something that happened in the distant past, um, right? But it like every day I find myself every few days at this point <laughs> just refreshing the page and be like, ooh, uh-huh. new stuff. Get the popcorn out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the popcorn. And, and every one of these videos of like telling this crazy story about a murderous ex husband or whatever um, is accompanied by that person just making food. Which is like oh, the worst lovely. combination because you're like, ooh, that, yeah. that looks delicious, and then it's like, oh, and then <laughs> my new my new boyfriend, which is also the husband that uh, not the husband that is also a police officer that is undercover uh, that I didn't even know about was trying to like catch this person, and like oh it's God. a whole it's a whole like drama, yikes. Um, but yeah, those are the two ways I use TikTok. I don't have the app. I just have a tab open, nice. and I, I am subscribed to whatever is coming out of that. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I'm following a woman who lives in New Jersey. She had a 40, 48, because the, the length, the limit is, 30, is three minutes on TikTok. You can't make a video that's longer than three minutes. So she told this story in 48 parts, and I was, like, glued to my phone one night just, like, <laughs> just watching the whole thing she basically she bought a house in in newark new jersey and she and it was a reno so she was like she doesn't live in it but she's been like working with contractors to you know to fix it up and stuff and so she goes there like once a week to check on things and she talks to the contractors and you know blah blah blah. and so she went one night and she couldn't get in because someone had changed the locks and so she's like, that's odd. And then these people show. So the next day, she she comes with a she calls a locksmith to like have them come change them back. And then like these people show up, 
and they claim to be like sovereign citizens and they're like not they don't listen to any of the United States laws and they they don't like their tags are fake and they don't carry ID and they had these this paperwork that said that they were, you know, sovereign citizens of the world and that they claimed like uh, what do they say? Like Aboriginal rights to her property and blah 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 blah. Okay. It was like this like bizarre thing, and they were being really aggressive about it. And 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 so she called the police, and then they like figured out, okay, I have the title, I have like this is my property, it's not yours. You're not allowed to be here. And so the cops like shoot him away, and so then she was still there because she was like trying to get the locks fi- the locks changed, and then the dude shows back up. And remember, he has a key that can get into the house because they're actually his locks. He, he like, not runs at her, but he, like, aggressively walks up to her as she's sitting on the stoop and just, like, steps over her, opens the door, goes inside, locks himself in the house. He's got, like, food and drinks and stuff in his hand. And then he puts up a flag in the window that's, like, some... I don't know, some flag from another country or whatever. And, like, basically, like, like, uh, like a pirate. Just, like, <laughs> just, like... <laughs> Like takes over her house, so she calls the cops again, and then and this is in the morning, and they spend all day, and this is not fabricated yeah. because she literally had video of like the Newark police like dealing with her house. Oh my gosh! I was just like I was just like riveted the whole time, and so all day they're screwing around with this whole thing, and and they negotiate with him and blah blah blah, and eventually they like take a battering ram to the front door, they go inside, they like pick him up, and he like refuses to cooperate. So they, as she described, they carried him out like a piece of plywood <laughs> and like stuffed him into a police car and and took him away and it turns out that he's part of a group of people that is on like a terrorist watch list because they again they don't believe in any of the United States laws and they and they think that they don't have to listen to any of the laws and that they're extra extra citizens or whatever like they, you know they 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 in some capacity I don't know or like they, they you know they they answer to a different set of rules I guess um and then also, like, they're extremely misogynistic. So, like, oh. she, she, they weren't really listening to her. And then the, the cop that showed up that was negotiating with her, with, with them originally, was also a woman. And they were, like, not having that either. Um, but then eventually, when everybody, sh- like, the SWAT team showed up and, like, when they were doing it, when he was, like, holed up in the house, uh, the captain who was there was a man. And, and supposedly he was, like, a little bit more, like, responsive. But basically they had to go in and, like, take him, take him out and... and and you know, bring him to the station. Or whatever he got released, like a couple days later. Um, but uh, it's like just that's insane. I, what? Like, <laughs> just an insane story. And and had it had it not been for literally the footage that she showed in her videos of like here's the footage I took that day where like there are all the cops and the SWAT team and the whatever you know all in front of my house like trying to get this guy out of there like he's it was it was crazy. Dang. But that's like that's the content I'm here for. That's, yeah. <laughs> That's that's what I want. Because then then you end up like waiting for the next one. It's like, okay, come on. Yeah. When's the next update? <laughs> yeah. So like she's been updating. She's like she was on the news and like, you know, so she showed a little clip of that and like she and then people were sending her messages saying like, you know, cuz it's in New Jersey. Like you you got like this story ended up in like the LA Times and, you know, I mean, it, it's <laughs> it like it got national coverage like <laughs> like dang, that's cool. And then people are like, you know, set up a Venmo, we'll send you money and like, you know. Yeah. The 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 ability of people to to get um engagement on TikTok is insane. Like I've seen videos with millions of likes and and just like insane levels of hundreds of millions of views. It's just like 
these are the kinds of things that only that only happens like on YouTube to you know like Gangnam style like the you know like the like the like the, the super uh, produced and usually you know made by some gigantic corporation style right. video not from like a random somebody person. and you know there's meme stuff too but like but like the 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 amount of engagement you can get from like everyday content on on TikTok is is bonkers 